what is going on, lovely listeners? This is Dando once again. I know I spoke at the beginning of last week's show, but I'm going to speak at the beginning of this week's show as well because, as I mentioned, we're having to do the show uh, from my house and Guy's house now due to the, the whole coronavirus thing going on and the, the self-isolating. And you'd be well aware that we um, was trying to work out the, the, the mic issue. So, Guy this week did the show in his wardrobe and it sounds better than last week. But it's still not up to the standard in which I wanted, but have no fear. As of next week, Treehouse of Horror 10, I've got the guy the mic, we've got the setup, it sounds crystal clear. So, have no fear, Guy sounds fine this week, just not as good as what I wanted him to. Don't worry, Treehouse of Horror 10 is perfecto, okay? So, thank you guys so much for your support. I cannot stress how much I appreciate you guys, the fact that you've stuck around for so long. You guys are absolute legends, and I cannot wait to bring you more and more four-finger discount into the future. Thank you guys once again, and I'll see you next week. Enjoy, guys. Well, at least you like the food. Oh, I like food all right. I like pizza. I like bagels. I like hot dogs with mustard and beer. I get the picture. I'll eat eggplant. I could even eat a baby deer. La, 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 la. Who's that baby deer on the lawn? Enough there. already. Sorry. Hey, listen. I just had a thought. We're looking for a new food critic. Someone who doesn't immediately poo-poo everything he eats. No, it usually takes a few hours. Four-finger discount, dude. Welcome to Four Figure Discount. This week we're here to review episode AABF21. It is the 229th episode of The Simpsons. It's one of my favourites from season 11. It is Guess Who's Coming to Criticise Dinner. I'm Dando. And I'm Guy. And you are in a closet. I am coming to you live from the closet. Yeah, um, patrons may have seen uh, on the Facebook page that I actually took a picture of my makeshift recording studio because we uh, we listened back to what we recorded uh, for the previous episode and, you know, we had a few sort of, not technical difficulties, but uh, a few minor hiccups here and there. And we thought, well, let's see how we can adjust this and give you, the listeners, crystal clear listening quality. Uh, so I tried various rooms around my place. Um, and they sort of got smaller and smaller until I ended up in my coat closet in my bedroom. <laughs> um, I'd actually, I'd actually heard about this. I, I, um, I read that it was kind of a pro tip for, uh, for cool podcasters that if you get into a confined space like a closet and you've got coats or clothes in there, they act as kind of natural, um, well, not natural insulation, but, uh, sort of a good soundproofing tool. So we'll see how we go, but yes, currently I'm in a closet. <laughs> the... <laughs> The um the clips you sent through to me the test I think I'm gonna to have to upload them for the patrons to hear because they were pretty damn great. Oh god, <laughs> don't know about that. But uh, uh, oh, no, feel free to do so, mate. But uh, I don't think they're too embarrassing. But uh, yeah, there was a there was a little work in uh, yeah finding just the right location. But uh, yeah, we should say to uh, to our listeners up front, whatever we saw, whatever technical shortcomings this uh, episode may have, we promise to make up for it in laughs. Well, hopefully in laughs. I also need to mention to the listeners, we just had a brief discussion before we started recording that you may hear some paper rustling. Don't mm-hmm. worry. It's just it's just Guy likes to write his notes in on paper and I really appreciate that. And Guy was said to me, Sh- you know, sh- should I keep it quiet and cut it out? I'm like, fuck no. That's great. It adds charm to the show. So if you hear paper rustling, it's, you're not going crazy. It's just Guy flicking yeah. through his notes. Because Guy, Guy's old school and that's the way we love him. Using pen and paper like a savage. It's actually, I was looking... um 
looking up a couple of articles about you know, how we're all in isolation or whatnot. They said this would be a good time to try and teach kids to read and write again because a lot of kids have just forgotten. Well, handwriting, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah. I, I, I don't know about you, but my handwriting is just absolutely gone to shit in the last. Uh, That's bad. Yeah. Last ten years or so. I noticed that when I wrote a um, I wrote a would have been anniversary card for Nicola recently. I thought I just don't know how to write anymore. <laughs> And your hands feel just kind of weird and distorted when you are when you're trying to hold a pen for too long. It's an odd one. So yes, I mean let's let's take advantage of this uh, of this enforced sort of uh, quarantine and isolation period to teach the kids the old ways. Yes, uh, thank you for tuning in, guys. Do appreciate it. Before we get into our review, just want to say a thanks to Joel Simpson, our uh, resident animator who drew our new cover photo that features Mr. Guy Davis in his little Jimbo beanie and Homer is a dope shirt. <laughs> yeah, looking um, like, ooh, <laughs> wow, do I look like that? And um, yeah, I guess I do a bit. But no, it's a, it's a Joel, fantastic work, sir. I mean, um, yeah, I didn't realise I looked quite so Santa-like, but uh, if, if, if that's the way it is, that's the way it is, man. No, fantastic work on your part. Well, you bring joy to everyone around the world, so it fits. <laughs> Yes, I give gifts to children even when I shouldn't. <laughs> Stop that! <laughs> uh, this week's podcast is brought to you by our beloved $20 patrons, Jordan Molman, Richie, and David Harrington. Thank you so much for your support, guys. And our new $5 plus patrons who get their shout-out is Joel King, Jack Fitzpatrick, Leanne S., Josh, and Tom Boothby. Thank you so much, guys. Props to all you fine people. Yeah, now, I always called you Mitch then. Just for oh. some habit. Apologize about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, God, uh, what did you think of Guesty's coming to criticise dinner? I thought this was so funny. I know you enjoyed this very much. I enjoyed it too. Maybe not quite as much as you, but I mean, um, no, I thought, I thought it was pretty funny. The main thing that I sort of dug about it was, um, I mean, I, I was, well, a, a newspaper reporter and journalist, uh, you know, back in the day for a while, and sort of all the scenes in the uh, in the Springfield Shopper, like, oh my God, a, a bustling newsroom. I remember those. And, you know, people on the phone trying to hustle ads or, you know, and oh, especially the reviewers they've got, like the, you know, was it the TV critic, uh, theatre critic, and what was the, was it farm products or something? Like, like, like rat poison and things like that. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, in my days sort of hanging around reviewers, yeah, they actually do look a lot like that. Oh, really? See, I was going to say to you, what's this episode like from a reviewer's perspective? Do, do they get it about right, or...? I reckon so. I mean, in certain ways, I mean, I've, I've never been a film... Um, I've been a film reviewer. I've never been a food reviewer. And I don't know, I mean, that's that's a whole language and a whole sort of frame of mind that I've never been able to really wrap my head around. I mean, I suppose if, you know, someone put a gun to my head and said, review this dish, I'd be like... Oh. First of all, why are you so invested in me reviewing this dish that you've got a gun to my head? Uh, but I suppose I could come up with it. But yeah, it's, I think it's a whole different kind of language and a whole different kind of way of looking at things. So, um, but maybe that is a, I mean, maybe that is across the board for reviewers in general. I mean, people who aren't maybe in that, who aren't in that game will look at reviewers and go, oh no, that's what you do no matter what you're reviewing, whether it's TV or books or food or art or whatever. But yeah, I've never been able to sort of <laughs> understand how food reviewers operate. Those guys are freaks. You know what you should do? I just got an idea whilst you were talking. So, yes. you know, we're, we're, we're stuck at home all the time now. So it's much easier to just 
not have to go to the shops and just order takeout. Mm-hmm. Why don't you start your own video blog where you review food and you say, hey, local restaurant, send me some free food. I'll review it, put it online to the thousands of Four Finger Discount listeners out there uh, <laughs> and Facebook fans. And that way you live for free, food-wise. Not a bad idea. Maybe you should do that. Except, uh, well, Nicola's a pretty good cook, though, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. Nic- Nicola wouldn't allow it. She, she'd be very uh, offended. <laughs> but Nicola doesn't even like it when I put, you know, she makes a rice dish. She doesn't like me putting soy sauce on it. She's oh. like, just try it first. I was like, yeah, but I, I like soy sauce. Yeah, but just try it first. Or she'll make something and I'll put, go to put salt and pepper on it. She goes, no, no just, just try it first. I'll put salt in it already. And I'm like... Uh, I feel awkward now. I don't. I didn't. I, okay. Okay. Do, I won't do you try it first? <laughs> I do try it first, and then I pretend like I'm going out to get a drink, and then secretly put some salt and pepper on it when she's not looking. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a secret anymore, man. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure she's going to listen to this and say, "Oh no!" Oh, she doesn't listen to the show. She doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I like I like this episode very much. You, you. But what what did you enjoy about it? I just, I really appreciated Homer here because, you know, we're in the, the jerk-ass Homer era, but I feel like they, um, this isn't Homer at his absolute best, but it's a far cry from the jerk-ass Homer. He's, he's not brain dead. He's just simple. Like, the line's like, if he's so smart, how come he's dead? And then the awkward yeah. pause. But <laughs> just also, too, he still has that element of, I don't know, like, he still has that relationship with Lisa. And I always love when Homer and Lisa team up because they, when they are on the same, the same wavelength and they agree on something, they do make a great team. They do, don't they? Yeah, I do enjoy those uh, those uh, episodes as well. But um, yeah, I, th- I just also just liked the, the tongue-in-cheek jabs at the reviewing industry. Like you said, even even the way they were designed, I think they just did a great job. Oh, 100%, yeah. And, um, just the red rim glasses on the uh, on the theatre critic. Like, yeah. Oh, God, <laughs> I've seen well, at least four that spring to mind immediately, and if I put my mind to it, I'm pretty sure I'd come up with at least 10 more who have who I've seen wearing that kind of garb. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a look. It's a, it's a thing. There's no two ways about it. It's funny how some people think because they're in that industry, they have to dress a certain way. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I mean, whether they feel... I'm in proximity to creative people, whether, you know, on the screen or the stage or whatever, so therefore I have to be as well, or... Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what motivates that. I mean, God, you've seen the way I dress. I'm, I'm I put this. Yeah, I'm capital C conservative. I think in my, uh, in my dress sense. So, uh, yeah, I've never really sort of, uh, I've never really gone that way with it. But yeah, you do see a few who, you know, they've got the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat thing going on. I think what also makes this work so much this episode for me is that it's just the perfect job for Homer. I mean, it's, obviously he's got Lisa helping him, but I can't think of a better way for Homer to get paid. Get paid to eat. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, the man's a remor- relentless or remorseless eating machine, as the as the sea captain once said. What I love that we actually go back to that same restaurant here in this episode. That's right. What's it called? The um... the Frying Dutchman, yeah. Oh, that's right. Remorseless eating machine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, good, a, good epi- a good episode. I mean, a lot of, uh, a lot of good... Vi- uh, I, I know I said this in the past, but a lot of good visual gags, a lot of good uh, verbal gags as well. You know, a good balance of the two, and... Um, yeah, not, not not much of a B story, just a straightforward A story pretty much all the way through. So, enjoyable. A lot of good giggles in this one. I think it stands out as well to me because it's not very often that we get to go to all the various uh, restaurants around Springfield. And we, we even go to some new ones here. And it's just it's just nice to be able to just sort of just venture to places that we don't normally go. It just makes the episode stand out. Yeah. Plus, no stereotype left unturned when it came to the various <laughs> nationalities <laughs> of the various restaurants. Especially Akira, the Japanese guy. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's voiced by um, 
Oh, is it Hank? It sounds like the guy from Star. I'm pretty sure it's the guy from Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars, Star Trek. Sorry. Oh, George Takei. Uh, pretty sure he voices him. Let me just double check. Akira, The I Simpsons. I don't think he's mentioned these in these credits. And you think that's he's voiced by Hank? Oh, voiced by Hank Azaria and George Takei. So I oh. don't know whether. I don't know whether he was voiced by George in this episode, but he has been voiced by George, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. At some stage, I said, hmm, Hank, yeah, we're starting to get a bit of blowback about you doing the voices. <laughs> no, keep- but I think George did I think George did the first time when he was in, like, season two. Oh, okay. Yeah, but maybe he's um maybe he's just... He was too busy at the time. But Hank, Hank's sort of like their go-to guy. Hey, offensive stereotypical uh, accent. Hank, <laughs> what do you got for us? <laughs> Stereotypes, our specialty. The only thing this was missing to me was that I feel like Homer needed a reviewing hat. Oh, true. What- Whenever he's doing something, he's got a hat on, a particular hat to suit the, the job at ta- the task at hand. Was he carrying a little flag at some stage? Yeah, so I knew you'd appreciate this. I, I wrote it down. It's when they leave um, They leave somewhere. He, he takes a flag with him. That's right. I can't remember that. Oh, is it Planet Hollywood, maybe? I can't remember. They, they, oh, I've got it written down, so when we get to it... We'll, oh, no, it's the zoo. He's got a, a zoo balloon. That's right. <laughs> he's, a, he's a sucker for merch. I mean, that's one of the reasons yeah. I um I appreciate Homer. I mean, I, I've always been a sucker for, like, just cheap-ass shit that says you've been somewhere. And you have it for, like, maybe <laughs> five or ten years, and then you look and go, this means nothing to me anymore, and you just kind of peg it. Well, we actually have a thing, Nicola and I, where... Especially when we're on our honeymoon, we got magnets from wherever we went, and we actually put it on our um on our fridge in the kitchen. And to be honest, it's actually nice to still sort of look back and go, "Oh yeah, I forgot I went and you know saw Conan O'Brien live, or I forgot that I went there." So they do play some role in our life, but that, I can see exactly what you mean. <laughs> that's true. I mean, look, I've st- I've got some that I've kept from uh, from overseas travel. T-shirts were big for me for a while. I mean, um, I've, I've got a T-shirt from Venice Beach in LA. Um, I've got a T-shirt advertising a Kenyan beer, actually, when I went to Africa back in 2010. Um, But also I picked up a couple of fridge magnets from uh, this Roman film studio called, and forgive forgive the pretentious pronunciation here, but Chinachita, because I said, where's Chinachita? And they said, you mean Chinachita? (laughs) So (laughs) ever since then, I've had to sort of pronounce it correctly, (laughs) pronounce it the Italian way, because... I remember the look of disdain that the Italian dude gave me when I pronounced it incorrectly. But yeah, I've got a couple of um, fridge magnets from there on my fridge, appropriately enough. I always get a laugh when you go to like, in Australia, when you go to an Indian or a Thai restaurant, listening to other Australians, Bogans, try to pronounce the dishes in their correct way. (laughs) For me, I get anxious that I'm going to mispronounce it incorrectly. So I will order dishes that I know I can say properly. Butter chicken. I won't, I, won't, uh, yeah. <laughs> I won't dare venture into something that looks too difficult to pronounce so I don't offend the waiter. I've always... Um, there's a, there's a um, Balinese restaurant that I occasionally get takeaway from and I usually get the same things every time. And they've got the, um, well, the Balinese names actually on the menu but they've also got descriptions of what they are. So when I call them up and say, oh, yeah, can I just get a serve of the corn fritters? And then they'll say what it actually is. Oh, and also yeah. some of those uh, spicy chicken wings. Oh, you mean such and such? I said, yeah, look, I'd probably butcher that pronunciation. So, yeah, you, by all means, you say it, but I know what I want. It's corn fritters and chicken wings, please. <laughs> but the best ones, I, I love it when they've just got a number next to it. You're like, I have a 21. It's the <laughs> simplest way. <laughs> I, it's, like, I'm, oh, it's very big in Asian restaurants. I get the feeling that when 
Asian restaurants first became big in Australia in what the fifties, the sixties, or whatever. They're like, yeah, they, these white devils are not going to be able to pronounce, you know, whatever we're we're dishing up. So yeah, let's just give them a number. Hey, my favorite. What was your favorite moment from the episode? Um, I've got a few written down here. They're just little 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 bits and pieces, but um, I think they mention of Patty Labelle. <laughs> you know, because Patty mm-hmm. Labelle is a uh, a well-known uh, American R&B singer. I just, I'm a, I'm a sucker for puns. Listeners will come to know this, but Pate LaBelle, I thought was just a, a pretty neat, uh, pretty neat play on words. What else have I got here as a fave? Um, I think you have to be a fan of puns when you work in the industry you are, you're in, right? Absolutely. Oh, and look, well, as we go through the episode, I'll tell you that, um, yeah, there's the certain puns that actually hit very, very close to home this episode. Um, I loved Krusty playing King Lear when he was in Four Minutes, Not a Comedy. It's not! <laughs> um, and when they're at the uh, the food fair at the very end, um, I did like that one of the stalls was called the Texas Cheesecake Depository. Uh, a nod, yeah. yeah. A nod to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Or That's also a throwback to the episode Bart Sells His Soul because oh. that's where the Hibbets go to, like, that's where the Hibbets kids say they want to go for dinner. Well, a, a a good gag like that is it certainly bears repeating. So yeah, by all means, trot yeah. that one out again. But there there were a few of my favourite little bits and pieces in there. There were a lot, but yeah, the um others we will sort of mention as we go along. But they were three that kind of stood out for me. How about you? I really appreciated. Now you you may not know the backstory here, so I really appreciated the um the recurring gag of Uta being missing. True. So, in the episode, the PTA disbands. They go. This is a couple of seasons ago, about two or three seasons ago. They go on a school excursion, but they sneak in, right? And they get caught sneaking in so that they, they're taken off in the bus and they leave Uta behind. And you seemingly see Uta get beaten to death by the workers here, but they cut away just before you see it happen. It's fucking hilarious. It's a <laughs> hilarious visual. But Uta hasn't been seen since. And that's why it's just so great that like here, they're going back to it saying, they just where is Uta? And I just love the cut of Skinner going, oh, Homer's a critic. And it's just, stop changing the subject. Where is Uta? We <laughs> <laughs> just want closure. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was fucking... I, I literally was wetting my pants of like, I don't know why, but I just thought that was so great. I just, <laughs> what I appreciated was the fact that they were referring to something from like two seasons ago and they've just gone back to it. I just, yeah, I love that. It's good when, yeah, a show has sort of got enough... Uh... Enough history, enough miles on the meter, and uh, yeah, enough sort of, uh, I guess, mythology that you can, mm. yeah, make a, a quick throwaway gag like that involving a character who hasn't been in the show that much, and it's just really gonna, yeah, really gonna nail, nail it for some people, really resonate for some folks. Yeah, 100%. Also, I remember when I was watching this, I'm thinking, this has to have been written by somebody noteworthy, like a John Swartzwater or whatever, because it's just, it's clear that the person writing this understands the show and has respect for the show. And it was written by Al Jean, Jean. Yeah. who is like the, the godfather, basically, of The Simpsons. Facts are meaningless. You can use facts to prove anything that's even remotely true. Facts, Max. Right, a few facts about the episode. So uh, I mentioned last week that I thought that um, the newspaper editor was a play on Jamison from Spider-Man. That's not correct. It, they got that confused. There's an episode where Homer becomes a paparazzi called Homerazzi, and J.K. <laughs> Simmons plays the um, the editor in that. So that's where I got confused. But this is actually played by Ed Asner of our Mary Tyler Moore Show fame. Um, and this episode, uh, this character was actually based on his character Lou Grant from that show, as well as the spin-off, um, the Lou Grant spin-off from the Mary Tyler Moore Show, where he actually plays Lou a Gr- newspaper editor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Ed Asner was sort of made to play sort of grouchy editors. So there's a, I think it's, it's 
well, for old folks like me, it's one of the most, it, it's a well-known line from the Mary Tyler Moore show, Mary Tyler Moore show where, you know, she goes to work for Lou Grant for the first time and kind of goes, oh, you've got spunk. I hate spunk. <laughs> I mean, he just, and it's sort of, in that, <laughs> oh, God, this guy's, you know, the grouchiest man alive. You know, really good at his job and probably a bit of a soft underneath it all. But, uh, yeah, he's definitely like newspaper editors that I've certainly worked for in the past. I mean, they're, they're a bit of a, a distinct breed, uh, old school male newspaper editors. They tend to be, Rah! they've got a bit of a growl going on. I don't feel like this editor was anywhere near as grouchy as I remembered him being, though. That's the thing. Yeah, he's he, actually he, quite. He's actually quite forgiving of Homer. <laughs> yeah, like, that was surprising, actually, given that. Uh, yeah, Homer kept sort of yeah, ballsing it up left and right. But uh, oh, actually, no, he was quite a success for for a while there, mainly because Lisa was writing his copy. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was just that first one that was like terrible, where he couldn't use an E and whatnot. <laughs> but look, any editor who uh, actually keeps Gill on staff has clearly, you know, got a bit is a bit of a soft touch. I love now that every time we see Gil, he's in a new job as well. <laughs> and he's never succeeding in any of them. you got to help old Gil. <laughs> now, one of, the, um, one of the more memorable moments from this episode that people seem to reference is when Homer sings the song. Um, it's a play on the tune, I Feel Pretty. What musical is that from, Mr. Davis? That is from West Side Story. Yes, correct. Yeah, uh, I, always, for some, I don't know why it stands out so much, but... It, Whenever I think of this episode, I think of Homer singing that song. <laughs> um, West Side Story actually coming back to the screen. Well, it was scheduled for a release later this year and a new version directed by Steven Spielberg. Spielberg? Really? Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's ever directed a musical. So, uh, yeah, this was kind of eagerly anticipated. Well, it still is eagerly anticipated, but, you know, when we actually get out to see it in a cinema, who knows? But uh, oh, So it's not, not, a, not a Netflix movie, it's a cinematic release? No, no, it was a being positioned as a, you know, sort of a big ticket release for uh, for the end of the year, like an, you know, Oscar contender and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we'll see it when it happens or when it's released. Yeah, a bit of a big ticket item. My final facts here, they're more just sort of like an observation. I just want to make sure these aren't your trivia questions, okay? So I'm just going to run through all the things that feature in the Planet Springfield store. Is that part of your trivia? Uh, no, it is not part of my trivia. Okay, cool. So the things that uh, featured there are the script from The Cable Guy, which we know because Homer rips it up, <laughs> uh, Herbie from The Love Bug, the 1968 film, a model of the RMS Titanic, uh, an alien similar to those from Mars Attacks, which mm-hmm. you know, Mars Attacks is one of those films I have not watched in a long time, and I really want to go back and watch it. Do you recommend I do so, or should I just leave it in the memory bank? I remember not liking it when I saw it back okay. in the day. I think, oh, yeah, this is... This movie is not quite as clever as it thinks it is, or it thinks it's you know a lot smarter than it is. Having said that, I maybe have to, I should probably go back and uh, and revisit it at some stage because I haven't seen it in a very very long time. I think there are probably parts of it that are that are really good, and parts of it are like, eh, Tim Burton, don't know, mate, don't know. But you know, okay, we'll give it a whirl. Well, I posted I posted in the uh, in the Patreon group yesterday. What nineties movies do you want Guy and myself to review? Maybe that could be on the list. Let's add it to the list. Yes, it's a very long list. Yeah. I, I, I must confess, I have not gone all the way through it yet, but uh, I did see that Mortal Kombat was on there. I think we should certainly do that. Oh, mate, fucking, I can't wait for that. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I got fired up. Oh, that opening theme gets me going, man. Oh, absolutely. Gets me excited. <laughs> <laughs> also got models of a TIE fighter, an X-Wing, and C-3PO, as well as the coffee mug from the film Heartbeeps. I don't know what that, what that film is, Heartbeeps. Was I've, it a popular I've, film? 
I've never actually seen it. I think it's a real movie. It, I think, it, to the best of my knowledge, it flopped and died a dreadful death. Uh, but I think it was made in like the late 70s or very early 80s. It's like a a love story between two robots. Uh, but um, oh. it, starred, um, uh, okay. it starred Andy Kaufman. You know, the... Um, oh, mate, I love his... I worship him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was one of his sort of few forays into, uh, into movie stardom i don't think he made a whole bunch of movies i mean he was most best known for you know his appearances taxi. on saturday night live and and uh, and on taxi but mm. um i think it's him and bernadette and, peters and, and wrestling women <laughs> and wrestling women yeah but i think it's uh yeah him and bernadette peters who's a really terrific actress uh best probably best known for being on stage but she's been in a, in a bunch of cool movies as well she was in the jerk with steve martin um okay yeah but i think it's like yeah, a story about two robots that fall in love, and everyone was like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> I'm going to do a quick Google search of the of the film's premise because I have to read about this. Heart beeps. Heart beeps. A 1981 romantic science fiction comedy film about two robots who fall in love and decide to strike out on their own. There you go. Did oh, I did wow. I get it right? Was it Bernadette Peters? Does it say? Uh, you're correct. Yeah, and Andy Kaufman. Yeah, and di- directed by Alan Arkush. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that dude's made a bunch of good movies, actually. I mean, a bunch of low budget, good uh, low, good low budget movies. Rock and Roll High School. And it was it was it was nominated for the inaugural Academy Award for Best Makeup in 1982. Oh, good God! Stan Winston did the work for it. Oh, okay. There you go, kids. There's heartbeats for you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's available on any uh, physical media or streaming format. I think everyone associated (laughs) with it probably wishes it had never been made. And also uh, at Planet Springfield, we have the very famous Kane from Citizen Kane. Kane. <laughs> I love Lisa getting all sceptical. There's no Kane in Citizen Kane. Next question. You there, eating the paste. All right, it's time for some trivia, Mr. Davis. Commence. You, you, you start off. What have you got this week for me? All right. Question number one for Dando. The Springfield Shopper was founded by who? Ah, damn it. I know it's a little Irish guy who's, if he's so smart, how come he's dead? Exactly. Uh, it's First name uh, Johnny? It's like newspaper something at the end of it, isn't it? It is indeed. And it rhymes And it rhymes with indeed. It's Johnny Newspaper Seed. Seed, seeds, yes, <laughs> seed, yep, yep, yep. Uh, which is a play on, uh, it's a play on Johnny Appleseed, which is a name that I know, but I don't really know the story. I'm assuming Johnny Appleseed is some lovable little urchin who would sort of roam the country throwing out apple seeds and that's why we've got apple trees i don't know maybe that's the case i mean listeners johnny might... Appleseed. would you like to know let's, let's learn about johnny Appleseed, shall we john chapman was an american pioneer nursery man who introduced apple trees to a large parts of pennsylvania ontario ohio indiana and illinois as well as northern counties of present-day west virginia yeah so he introduced basically introduced a lot of america to apple trees okay then and he, he was given the nickname johnny Appleseed. i'm guessing Yes, yes, correct. Well, there you go. Uh, my first trivia question. Where, in what section of the paper, does Homer have his first review published? Oh, now it's it's just a letter and a number, isn't it? Is it, is it H2? Correct, yeah, page one of section H2. <laughs> yes, the lifestyle section. All right, you may hear some rustling of pages here, people. I'm just flicking it around. Here we go. We mentioned Planet Springfield earlier, Dando. Um... Can you name, it's owned by at least four organ, um, people. Can you name three of them? Besides Rainier, we've got um, Johnny Carson's third wife. That is correct. I want to say. Yeah. Uh, 
the Russian Mafia. Mm-hmm. And a and well and a well known Chuck, Chuck Norris. That's Chuck it. Norris. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> In what year was the Springfield Chopper formed? Oh. Or founded. Was it eighteen eighty eight? Eighty three, nearly. Good, oh. good try. I, I, did, I knew it had been around for quite some time. Showed mm. impressive legs for a small town newspaper. Good on you, Springfield Chopper. What show? Oh, no, your, 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 turn, your turn. Oh, Chopper, that's down. What is a, uh, a tasty kitchen ingredient that Homer used to put in his coffee? Oh, shake and bake. He did indeed put shake and bake in his coffee. <laughs> shake and bake. bake. <laughs> All right. Hit what me. shows? What shows did the reviewer have cancelled that Homer was irate about? Oh, I know one was the Cosby Mysteries. Yeah. Now was that a real thing? I get the feeling it might have been. Um, should we should we look it up just quickly? Okay. Quick look. And try and think of the other one whilst I do this. I will. Um... It was the Cosby Mysteries is an American mystery drama series that starred Bill Cosby aired on NBC from '94 to '95. Oh, okay. So once the, the first, Cosby show the, was over, he sort of decided to keep on TV when he wasn't doing unsavory stuff after hours. I always mispronounce this. Is it most deaf? Most deaf? Most deaf. Most deaf. Uh, appeared in several episodes as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. Got, got axed after one season, 19 episodes, 18 plus a pilot. Went, yeah. So I didn't realize that was a thing, but that was his, his return to television after the Cosby show. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, for the life of me, I cannot remember the other show that uh, the TV critic got canceled. I'm sorry. It was Platypus Man. I'm going to make sure this... My God, I don't this think was that's a, a real well. thing. Platypus Man. That couldn't be a It real. is. Platypus Man? An American Man? sitcom that aired on, it aired on UPN from January 23 to July 10, 1995. <laughs> it sounds like it lasted about as, exactly as long as it deserved to. What's it about? In the series, Jenny played himself, so the actor played himself, and was host of a cooking show called Cooking with Platypus Man. Right. Ron Orbach, Orbach, Orbach played Lou, executive producer of his cooking show and his best friend since childhood. Denise Miller played Paige, his sports writer, neighbour, and someone else played Tommy, his bartending younger brother. So it was just a typical sitcom by the sounds of it. Someone else was in it. I love that guy. <laughs> so it sounds like uh, a cooking show version of Home Improvement. Pretty much, yeah. Well, I think that was, that was well, it's, it's still a thing to some degree, but I think there was a thing for a while where it's like, yeah, let's get a stand-up comedian. We'll give him a job. We'll give him a give him a wife. Give him a wacky neighbor, and then just let him do their act. Essentially, I mean, at least Seinfeld was kind of upfront about it. It's like, no, this guy's just a comedian. So I have to check out Platypus Man. It sounds fucking terrible, but it's maybe it's the kind of thing we can uh, do a quick review on. <laughs> it's probably on YouTube somewhere. I mean, that's where everything winds up these days. But uh, oh god, yeah, hundred percent. Plat- Platypus Man. No wonder it didn't do well. I'm sorry, that's a terrible title. Yeah, terrible. Uh, what's your next question? My next question is, how many pounds of butter per square inch is in La Bombe? I'm just going to guess 25. You are correct, sir. 25. Oh, I, I don't know why. It must have just been stuck in my head from watching it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, though, how delicious does that thing look? It did look pretty nice. I mean, when it was sort of pulsating like that, I'm like, ooh, yum. <laughs> Give me some very of that. Su- very seductive. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how many eggs were in the briefcase as he started to make it? Oh. Oh, no, I'm completely blanking. Oh, no. All right. Uh, it's a, it's five, five times something. So there was five up and something across. Oh. No, you're going to have to help me with this one. I'm sorry, Dana. It was 35 eggs. 35 eggs. 
It's a lot of eggs. <laughs> <laughs> and your final question, sir. My final question is... Um, when Homer um, pulls a cunning ruse to get off work and, you know, puts the dummy of himself there, the song uh, that's being played is, well, it's a variation on She Works Hard for the Money. Do we know who sang She Works Hard for the Money originally? Ah, uh, fuck. I was going to look this up, actually, but I didn't. Now, nah, damn it, who was it? It's Donna Summer. Donna Summer, yes. Yeah. Very, very popular song. Oh, yeah, She Works Hard for the Money, so you better treat her right. But whenever I hear that song now, I just can't help but hear Homer singing it. <laughs> he tends to he tends to make them his own, absolutely. Yeah. Give me lots of honey. <laughs> <laughs> and finally for me, which stall was blown up by the dessert that Homer throws? Oh, it's it's, it's Molman's, isn't it? Um was it Molman's gruel? Molman's gruel, well done, sir. Yeah. <laughs> You know what it is? It's because I pay so much more attention when I'm doing the reviews for these episodes that there was just so many little things, like the fact that it's Molman's stall that gets blown up, that when I watched this as a kid, just, you know, didn't really, didn't pay any attention to, didn't, didn't realize. So going back, I just think I have a newfound respect and appreciation for the little details that this episode has. Absolutely. And there's a lot in here. You're right. You're a fan of the food market or the, the like the, um, you know, when they have like food truck Fridays or... You know, in, in, in Geelong, we've got the Nightjar Market. I love when you, you park a bit further away and the closer you get, you can start to smell it. Oh, yeah. But the thing of it is, I mean, they're all, they're all selling like regular-sized meals, though, or, or regular-sized portions. And so you can't really sample everything. I mean, I mean you, you know, you go along, it's like, oh, mm, ooh, that Kransky looks really good. But you get a monster bloody Kransky in a dirty great roll covered in sauerkraut. <laughs> like, now I can't... Any, I can only travel to one, you know, one culinary land. I can't do the yeah, whole yeah. map. I'm full of Kransky. So we need to go with like, you need to go with somebody else and like split it. Like, you know, cut that Kransky in half or like they, what they should be doing is, you know, making mini souvlakis or something. Absolutely. Yeah. For just for, you know, for a reduced cost and that way everybody gets to, yeah. 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 You get a sample of everything. Because I do love my souvlakis at the local reference for the, for the week, Paco Festa. Oh yeah, pa- so, yeah. Paco Fest is a really good example of that. And uh, this is yeah for our listeners who are unaware of what Paco is and what a festa is. It's a uh, yeah one day of the year where all the local uh, shop owners and uh, retailers come out, and there's a lot of food stalls, and yeah, it's basically every type of grub under the sun. It's marvelous stuff. But you you you, you sort of <laughs> you end up like Homer. It's like I don't even know why he bothers putting the top <laughs> buttoning up the top button anymore. <laughs> You certainly feel like that at the end of the day. It's the one day of the year that everyone in Geelong actually comes together. It is. It is. It's a very uniting experience. From this day forward, your names will be... New names for this week, Mr. Davis. We've had a lot coming through. People are really getting on board this new uh, this new contest we have going. So I'm going to run through the current leaderboard before you give your, your favourites and your top three for this week. So on top of the current leaderboard for the new names... Mm-hmm. We have Andrew Parker on three and David Abbott-Smith on three. Uh, now, it's a tie for second position with three people on two. We've got Brendan Hedger, Neil Parks, and he's written in. I know we call him <laughs> Gearoid. <laughs> You're always going to be Gearoid to us, buddy. It's Garoid, right? Yeah. So, it's G-A-R-R-Road, Garoid. Garoid, so, yeah. Garoid, I, I apologize, but do, do you mind if we call you Gearoid, sir? Please let us know, because I do love saying Gearoid. Yeah. I'm gonna, I've got to find that thing, uh, that uh, that pic of uh, Ringo Starr appreciating the picture. Yeah, 
Got to do that yeah. and put his display picture in there. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously, if you're not aware of what this current leaderboard is, if you want to get involved, you're just going to be a two dollar plus patron. Help support the show, keeps the show going, and in return, you get a bunch of exclusive podcasts. You get access to the Facebook group, which is where you can be a part of the new names, patron mailbag, and things like that, as well as access to the uh, the monthly giveaways that we have, courtesy of our friends at Pop Culture. Now, guy, give us the new names for this week. Okay, then. Now we do have a top three, but uh, falling just short of the uh, of the top three um, is Neil Parks. Uh, very, uh, honorable mention to Neil Parks this time around for review to a kill. Not bad. Ooh, not bad. Yeah, kind of like that one. That's actually that's uh, if that's the one that just misses out. These top three better be pretty damn good. I think they're pretty good, but I mean, um, you know, my penchant for puns, as we say. <laughs> so uh, well, well done, well done, Neil Parks. Heavy, but. Um, so wait a minute, we're doing one point, two point, three point, correct? Yeah, so did you want to read through some other ones or are you just not interested? <laughs> oh, it's not that I'm not interested, but I think, you know, that we had a lot of good competition and it was tough sort of nailing down one honourable mention, but we'll do one outside yeah. the top three. Yes, and now okay. We're, now, we're our, enough, yeah. now we're entering our top three with one point. It's mm-hmm. um, it's gear. <laughs> it's Gearoid. Gearoid. Gearoid Harrahill with Eclair and Present Danger. Ooh. I kind of like that one. So Giroy now moves into equal first position on three points. Yeah. Um, coming up uh, with two with uh, two points. Now, uh, Jimmy, pron- uh, forgive me if I uh, mispronounce your surname here. Faruja or Farugi? Jimmy Faruja, yeah. Faruja, so, yeah. Yep. Uh, with Uta Eats. <laughs> <laughs> That's spot on. I love it. That's pretty good. <laughs> Although he doesn't eat in this, but yeah. still, I Uta? like it. <laughs> question mark. Eats, exclamation Man, review to kill. That's that's I can't. Neil, Neil Parks is going to be furious about missing out. Review to kill is pretty great. <laughs> review to kill is pretty good, but the, I, I'm I'm partial to these ones that are in the uh, in the top three list. Yes, um, and finally, yes, at the top of the list. Uh, and in all honesty, he's up here because well, both of these are good, but also he came up with two really good ones. It's um, he's having a good season. This kid, Andrew Parker. Whoa, he's got uh, he's got two here. The magnificent seven thumbs up. I thought that was pretty mm. good. That's a nice, little, yeah. that's a nice deep cut. Uh, and also, no munchie for bald man. Oh. <laughs> that's pretty good, isn't it? Andrew Parker. He, he knows his way around a, a title. I, I, he's, he's done well. Nice work. Maybe, for you, maybe there's a job waiting for him at the uh, at the Geelong Addy. Could oh, well, he's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, surging into first position now is Andrew Parker on six points. Uh, still, equal second now is David Abbott-Smith and Giroid, uh, both on three. And in equal third on two points, we have Brendan Hedger, Neil Parks, and Jimmy Faruja. Jimmy. Um, I came up with an alternative title. I don't think it's as nearly as good as any of those, but I liked Foodie Blues. Foodie Blues. That's that's. See, sir... This is why you are where you are. <laughs> in a cupboard. In a closet. In, in, a, in, a, in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. I do really appreciate that. Well, thank you, patrons, for contributing this week. Unfortunately, we're not going to be reading through them all, but just, just so you know, Guy does read through all your entries, and maybe you should go through and just like them all, Guy, just so they know that you've read them. I will, I will do that, certainly. Um, yeah, thank you guys for contributing. As I said, just going to be a $2 plus patron to get access and be a part of that. Fantastic new segment brought to you by the one and only Mr. Guy Davis. Oh. Good news, everyone. 
Yes, everyone's favourite podcast from the year 3000 has returned. It's Tales of Futurama, available exclusively for Four Finger Discount patrons. Starting all the way back at Space Pilot 3000, Mitch and I, we're reviewing every episode of Futurama as we sink back a cool, refreshing can of delicious slurm. So be sure to sign up today or else Bender might tell you to... Bite my shiny metal ass! Tales of Futurama, available now at patreon.com slash discount. This message proudly brought to you by the Hypnotoad. Alrighty, now it's time to get into our full review, Mr. Davis. Uh, guess who's coming to criticize dinner originally aired on October 24th, 1999. Uh, the chalkboard gag, I am not the last Don, and the couch gag was the one that features Matt Groening. They run into the couch. Marge notices that it says Matt Groening on the bottom. She rubs it off, and he comes back and writes it back in there. It's funny, it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I realized that everything Simpsons related has that tag on it. Like, everything. What, well, has the Matt Groening signature? Yeah. Ah. Well, yeah, like, Matt, uh, well, Matt's clearly not standing for any erasure of his name. I mean, he jumps right in and re and resigns there. I wonder what his net worth is, Matt Graney. What do you reckon that the the guy who run the Simpsons? What do you reckon his net worth is? Oh, it's got to be a. I'd say somewhere between fifty and one hundred million. <laughs> Seven hundred and fifty million dollars. Well, that proves how wrong I can be. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, enjoy, enjoy your many millions, Matt. You've made us laugh for so many years. I think you probably earned a few bucks. Apparently, it wasn't all hugs and kisses in the earlier years of The Simpsons, particularly between him and Sam Simon. I have heard rumours about this, but I'll let you... Uh, I'll let you uh, I, won't, that a little I, I won't mention it again. Most fans listening to this will be well aware. Basically, Sam just thought that Matt was taking all the credit when Sam was the workhorse behind the show, making it all as great as what it was, and Matt was just sitting there saying... Hey, put my name on it, and it was brought to you by me, and he was the one doing the interviews, and Sam wasn't getting any credit, and a bit of jealousy there, um, creative jealousy, and it sort of led to the uh, the time when Sam left the show, and a lot of people were disappointed by that because they feel like Sam brought a real, a, a lot of heart to, to the series. I can understand where both men are coming from because, um, yes, it sounds like Sam Simon did do a fair whack of work in making The Simpsons what it was, but at the same time... I'm the kind of guy who would like to put his name on something and get a check for it. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wholly appreciate that. Um, may I just, um, in in bits of dumb pop culture trivia that I am becoming increasingly well-known for, I'd like to explain a bit about the uh, the, the Blackboard bag, The Last yeah, Don. Yeah, please do. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, Bla- the Last Don was actually a, well, it was a novel that was sort of a cousin. It was written by the same guy who wrote the, the novel of The Godfather. And it was made into a couple of TV miniseries called The Last Don and, creatively enough, The Last Don 2. Um, and, well, th- this was around the late 90s as well. And let's just say there's a reason everyone knows The Godfather and I'm having to explain The Last Don. <laughs> <laughs> so was it just trying to be The Godfather? Pretty much. It was... Uh, oh, look, I've, ne- I've never read it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, if you, if, it's, it's kind of like Heartbeeps. If you haven't seen it or you haven't read it, then it mustn't be good. <laughs> I, don't know, I, I remember, you know, sort of seeing ads for it or seeing The Last Don in bookstores back then. This just feels like a really cheap sort of cash-in on um, on The Godfather. I mean, look, Mario Puzo, the, the guy who wrote The Godfather and The Last Don, was apparently, a, you know, a terrific and creative guy, but... Uh, you know, even terrific and creative guys will sometimes just, you know, punch it out for a, for a quick paycheck. And I think that was the case with The Last Don. Okay. Well, thank so, you for that little insight. Yes. So that's pretty much a blackboard gag that time forgot. The episode kicks off with Skinner wishing the students well on their uh, tour 
or the excursion to the Springfield shopper. Uh, Willie bursts out thinking that the kids have already left, but he hasn't. He says, because Skinner says, we're going to stay back and um, check for the asbestos and get, remove the word evolution, <laughs> which I appreciated. That's a, well, that was a thing that was really happening back in the late 90s. I mean, uh, in 1996, school books in the American state of Alabama, they actually had a warning label um, that called evolution a controversial theory <laughs> and said, you know, no one was present when life first appeared on Earth. So, um, yeah, they were... And I think a lot of people got sort of up in arms about it. It's like, I'm pretty sure, you know, we've done a lot of scientific research to prove evolution as opposed to, you know, God created the heaven and earth in seven days or whatever. Um, so, yeah, the whole thing about um, taking evolution out of school books was, uh, well, they're, they're, you know, exaggerating it a bit, but it was an actual thing there for a while. Well, I had no idea. See, yeah. this, is, this, is why, this is what you're bringing to the table, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Recollections of the 90s. I see that as a funny gag. You see that as a real life event. <laughs> <laughs> they did their they did their homework on the on the Simpsons. Groundskeeper Willie and I will stay behind to remove all traces of asbestos and the word evolution from our school. Next up, Margaritaville. Hey, oh, they're still here. This moment reminds me of when you know, like when you're at school and the teachers go into the teachers' room, but you never dared go in there or could see in there. You try and peep in, but you never got the chance to go in. I yeah, I never went into the teachers' lab. La- oh no. Well, I wasn't invited because I wasn't a teacher. But I do remember, yeah, sort of sneaking a peek into the staff room occasionally thinking, wow, that looks incredibly grown up. What are they, what are they drinking, coffee? Wow, what's going on in there? <laughs> <laughs> um, Suggest that the students pair up with the buddy. And then, yeah, we get, we get that amazing Uta reference. <laughs> Come to think of it, I haven't seen Uter since the last field trip. <laughs> Uter, I don't remember any Uter. <laughs> Silly name, Uter. Like I said, that's a, the back reference to the episode PTA Disbands, and yeah, I just I laughed wholeheartedly at that. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 um, is, it is a good throwback gag. Uh, Homer has volunteered to drive. Dad, it's great that you volunteered to drive, but how did you get out of work? Don't worry, sweetie. Daddy's got it covered. I work hard for the money. So hard for the money. Oh, I something, something money. Come on, give me lots of honey. It's not even a robot. It's just a bucket with fake eyes on it, right? It is. But it's, it still gets a promotion. <laughs> Promote that man. Uh, we'll also, also later in the episode, we get a new design of Burns that I thought was fucking great. Fat Burns. I know. And I'll tell you what he looked like or who he looked like. Um, I don't know if this was a deliberate thing, but I mean, Simpsons was on Fox in the, in the States and uh, Fox News is clearly sort of relating to that. He looked like Roger Ailes, the uh, the sort of the president of Fox News, who is now best known for being, well, a despicable sexual predator, <laughs> you know, sort of. Uh, um, but if, if you look up pictures of Roger Ailes and then you I'll look at that. Fat Burns, it's it's pretty similar. Roger Ailes. Yeah. There's a, a oh. movie that came out not long. Well, actually, there were two sort of competing projects. There's the you're, movie you're Bombshell. You're right, with the, with the jowls and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The movie Bombshell with Margot Robbie and Nicole Kidman and uh, Shalice Theron, but also the miniseries The Loudest Voice, which has Russell Crowe playing um, Ailes. Again, look, that's a, bit of, that's a bit of trivia. I don't know if it was deliberate or not, but I, when I saw Fat Burns, I'm like, looks a bit like Roger Ailes. <laughs> well, it w- would make sense, like you said, considering they're on Fox, and they do like to take their jabs at Fox. It's one of my favourite lines... From the Simpsons ever, and I think I've said this to you, has been they will have my respect forever for getting Rupert Murdoch on and having him say the line, I'm Rupert Murdoch, the billionaire tyrant. Yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is just amazing that you you would have the balls to suggest that to the man who's who's 
not only signing your checks, but basically holds the paper on your life. <laughs> you you can have, have respect for him to, to actually go through with it. Oh, absolutely. It shows some degree of self-awareness. I mean, he's, he's done a lot of damage to, to democracy and other things, Rupert, but he, did, he got that bit right. Uh, Homer, as I said, has volunteered to drive, and they're driving in the car. Milhouse starts playing Ice Bite. Nelson belts him. God bless you, Nelson Muntz. <laughs> yeah, he's no hero. Just likes to hit people in the head. Exactly right. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. That, I'm not sure whether they should be encouraging it. Also, likes to use the term dingus, which I which I enjoy. I've never heard this except for on The Simpsons. I don't know. Is it a Simpsons word, dingus? It may. I, I don't think it's one that's really in the in the vocab all that much. I don't think it's purely a Simpsons word, but it's one that just sounds good. It's it sounds dirty, but it may not actually be dirty. Yeah. I, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay. okay. Don't, don't touch him on the dingus. <laughs> yeah, the word dingus, it feels like a euphemism for, well, someone's downstairs area. Um, yeah. <laughs> but maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. But it's a good word. Like a, like a clever way of saying dickhead. Pretty much. Yeah, I don't think the Simpsons could get away with saying dickhead, but dingus. <laughs> uh, what do you think of the Homer road rage scene? Where it's, it's very sweary. I mean, yeah, that's, that's jerk-ass Homer there. I mean... Yeah. Um, <laughs> As someone who was prone to road rage, I can I can sympathise and empathise, and I don't think it's that bad. But yeah, it is kind of it's jerk house. It's just it's just weird the way it's shot in the sense of with the the beeping. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Simpsons, that was an right? unexpected sort of uh, addition for mine. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it was something they were trying out to see whether people would accept it. I don't know. Mm. Anyway, um, but then this is one another one of my favourite moments. All right, we've arrived at the zoo. Well, that's good, Dad. But we're supposed to be going to the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> he's very much in as, his, he's very much in his own world. Yeah, and then cut to them walking in, and Homer's holding that balloon like that. <laughs> like, yeah, that was just so great. That's very good. <laughs> yep, they've uh, come to the offices of the Springfield, well, the the newsroom of the Springfield Shopper. Yeah, getting the history on the newspaper and whatnot. Welcome to the Springfield Shopper, established in 1883. The newspaper was founded by Johnny Newspaper Seed, a 14-year-old boy who roamed America founding newspapers. If he's so smart, how come he's dead? Over the years, the shopper merged with the Springfield Times, Post, Globe, Herald, Jewish News, and Hot Sex Weekly to become Springfield's number one newspaper. Oh, God, I remember bustling newsrooms. Yeah, you're saying that. So, how did this hit close to home, this episode? Particularly where they thought it was uh, journalists, you know, Get it, getting the scoop when really they're just trying to sell newspapers. Oh yeah, I mean, um, look, when I worked in newsrooms, the advertising department and the news and the journos were all fairly sort of separate. I mean, you didn't, you had sort of, you know, separate not well offices. When at the Geelong Advertiser, we were on separate floors, and I never really sort of spent much time in the uh, around the advertising folks. <laughs> they're they're a different kind of person, but no, I mean, I sort of passed through there often enough to, uh, you know, oh yeah, there's a bit of fair bit of hustling going on, absolutely. I mean, I don't think I don't think we ever had anyone quite as desperate as Gil to sell an ad. <laughs> You'll have to um give me a tour once this whole coronavirus thing's gone. Absolutely. <laughs> it's uh, just one of those things. I've never I've never been into the Geelong Addy building, but it's just it's one of the one of the key centerpieces of the city. I've just never been in there. Well, yeah. Well, we're in a new office now because we. Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know what they're doing with the with the old office. I mean, I think there were there were reports that they were going to try and either turn it into a a hotel or apartments or something along those lines. Because it's a fairly sizable building. 
Yeah. What a location, right across the road from Macca's. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and <laughs> Mustafa's Kebabs. Oh, and, and the delightful Kerman's Hamburgers. Shout I was going to say that the hamburger place that you love, yeah. Oh, Kerman's makes a fine burger and some excellent chips. Uh, uh, so so you recommend getting them? Because we, we want to get takeout for tea tonight. Would you recommend that place? Oh, Kerman's, 100%. Yeah? Yeah, oh, it's fantastic. Oh, awesome. Because I want a really good burger. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, it's not... Um, it's. It's not one of your fancy burgers, you know. You no, that's to- what I don't, want, I don't want that. I don't want a gourmet, fancy fucking, you know, um, burger ink burger. I want a dirty fish and chip shop style hamburger. This is this, this is the best possible version of a fish and chip shop burger. It's really okay, yeah, good. That's what I really appreciate about it. The chips are fantastic as well. Awesome. Um, well, that's got me excited. Can we end this now? So I can yeah, exactly. Some, some hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> Recording the rest of the podcast. <laughs> uh, where are we up to? Oh yeah, um, so it just talks about how the paper merged with a lot of others to become the number one uh, paper in the in the world. We've got the newsroom and whatnot, Gil. Wow, a bustling metropolitan newsroom funneling scoops from all over the globe. Hi, are you interested in a subscription to the shopper? Low introductory rates. No, please, you gotta help old Gil. What's it gonna take to keep you on the phone? You- Dance for you, but you wouldn't even see it. You, all right, I, I'm dancing. And this is our comic strip department. Who here reads Mary Worth? Let's move on. The comic strip department at the Addy. Is there a comic strip department, or do you guys just get it sourced from elsewhere? We've got um, a regular cartoonist. Um, I think the guy's name is Peter Brolman, which just goes by Brol. Uh, mm-hmm. He's not bad, actually. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of um, sort of newspaper cartoonists or political cartoonists, but this guy's pretty much on the ball. He doesn't like Scomo. I'll tell you that much. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> for our overseas listeners, that's uh, Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison, who actually goes by the nickname Scomo. Well, I think he tried to give it to himself, and now everyone just calls him Scotty for marketing. <laughs> if you if you live in Hawaii, you may have met him. You may have met him here. Yeah, that uh, that burly gentleman in the Hawaiian shirt throwing shuckers at every <laughs> opportunity. Um, yeah, I mean, um, no, we don't have, he, our newspaper, our uh, cartoonist doesn't actually work in the office, but he delivers a, uh, a cartoon to us every day via the wonder of the internet. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, it's, it seems like the, the dream job. If you're a, a successful, um, cartoonist, you can just send, you stay home, draw some cartoons and send your shit wherever you need to and just make money. It'll be it absolutely like a dream. Blast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One thing I liked about the, uh, the tour of the newsroom is that they had, uh, Dear Abby and Ann Landers in suspended animation or something along those lines. I don't know if you guys know the story of Dear Abby and Ann Landers. They're actually identical twin sisters. Did you really? know that? No. Yeah. They're, I mean, they were, I think, two of the most popular advice columnists in, the, in 20th century America. Went by different names, but they were twin sisters. I had no idea. This is something to look up. I mean, I look... I, <laughs> My uh, internet research on this was, shall we say, half-assed. I mean, I already knew that they were sisters. I didn't know they were identical twins. And I get the feeling that their relationship was kind of fraught. So if if you're interested, <laughs> I don't know how many of you are interested. They were like, just, you know, get to the Cracker Factory guy. But uh, <laughs> but it's something you might want to look up. Just type in Dear Abby or Ann Landers. But, yeah, the fact that they, you had these two incredibly popular newspaper columnists who went by different names who were actually 
not just related but identical twins. That just strikes me as a fascinating story. Look, it's it's a yeah. net, it's a Netflix series in the making, I'm sure. Speaking of that, we just started watching Tiger King. Oh my god! <laughs> we're, we're, we're like halfway through the first episode, but I'm just like, she is a crazy cat lady. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's a, the the great memes going around with her just saying. Hello, all you cool cats and kittens. I mean, um, <laughs> oh, you're in for you're in for a treat, though. I mean, particularly, you know, the stuff about her, but there's stuff about all these characters, all these people. I mean, it goes on some, it goes in some weird directions, and oh, you know, yeah, no, it's fantastic, Tiger King. I mean, it's, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. My advice is to free us or let us die. There we get the headline from the day you were born. I don't. The, the joke about the unusually large, ugly baby born isn't what I loved about this. I loved Homer's, ooh, pointless nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think the headline was when you were first born? You mean, what, about me or just on the... Uh... No, no, just the newspaper headline, the day you were born. Oh, golly. Um, let's be straight up and I'll, I'll tell you my... You'll have to do some maths, but I was born on September the 5th, 1969. That's not long after man first walked on the moon. I'll tell you. Do you know you, you turned 19 the day after I was born? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're working with here, folks. Um, I don't know. The, the headline on, on the the Addy or whatever was, was either, I don't know, cats not in finals or, holy shit, man walked on the moon like two months ago. <laughs> just milked it for the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah, it's like, can you believe that happened? But anyway, uh, we get the, um, the reference to 0% recycled paper. Zero is a percent. <laughs> uh, the kid going into the into the chipper in his treehouse. Then we get this is sort of this is the intro to the the main story here. So Homer sniffs out a cake that says farewell and best wishes. I love Bart says he can hear pudding. pudding. That's a great line. <laughs> and the fact that Bart is really proud about it as well. <laughs> There's not many things that Bart can be proud about for Homer, but the fact that he can hear pudding, pudding. is one of them. That is fantastic. <laughs> uh, we get Mimi's uh, retirement party. And I don't know about you, obviously, well, you are a reviewer, so you won't think this, but the majority of people, in my opinion, see reviewers as these type of people, just pessimistic, look for the bad things and everything, and just can't appreciate the finer things. It's, it's a shame that people feel that way. I mean, I think, um, I think people who sort of get into the reviewing or criticism game, they do it because, you know, they generally want to... They genuinely want to find good stuff and share that information with people. It's like, you know, there's some... There's a really terrific movie that I saw, or you know, oh, this place does the best, you know, parmy in town, or you know, oh, I saw some fantastic art, and this is, you know, I know enough about art to say this is what it means to me, and you know, I, you know, maybe you should go check it out. I mean, I, <laughs> then you do the job for like maybe six months, like everything sucks. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of the things that I've, you know, that I've found over years of sort of reviewing movies is that. The bulk of movies, I mean, if you're rating out of five stars, the bulk of movies are three and a half stars. They okay. really they really are. So that's that's like the average, yeah? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, you'll find that when reviewers start, I mean, mostly, well, I'll say this in film and TV, you'll get young players who are basically like, this is the best thing ever, oh my God, or oh, this is a war crime against, you know, art. You know, they... They really try to make an impression fresh out of the gate with like best or worst, you know, best thing ever. And then, you know, but after after a while you realize, yeah, this is, it's pretty good. It's not bad. It's okay for it to just be fine. Yeah. yeah. And the trick is finding inventive ways 
and engaging ways to sort of express that. You know, you find what's good about something or what works about something and try to convey that as best you can. Well, that's actually interesting. It's like, how difficult is it after, say, you know, five years in the industry to come up with a new way to say something's fine? It's tough. <laughs> it's yeah. Um, but, you know, every, everything's got something of worth or interest in it. When it's just say something's fine, do you prefer to sort of focus more so on the positives that it has? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not, it's anyone who's worked on, you know, a work of art or, you know, a piece of entertainment or whatever, you know, they'll know that no one sets out to make a piece of shit. You know, that, you know you've always got the best of intentions. And um, I don't know, I think if you're acting as a critic or a reviewer or whatever, you've, you know, you've got to have some degree of good faith and, and try to look for that. You know, and I mean, if there's more bad than good, then you have to point that out as well. Because, I mean, you're also providing a, a service to your customers who are the readers or, or the listeners or whatever. You know, paying to go to the movies or whatever or paying for a Netflix expen- uh, subscription is, you know, it's money out of your pocket. You know, you want to give whoever's reading or listening to a review value for money. It's like, uh, you know, if you trust my opinion, you might want to waste your time with this one because I found it a bit dull. I didn't find it was all that great. So yeah, that's that's the that's the sort of mindset that I go with. No, well, that's I hope that's the mindset that most reviewers go with. Cause that's the way they should be doing it. <laughs> well, hopefully. So Mimi, this little shindig is our way of saying farewell to our favorite food critic. What can I say except thanks for the predictable champagne, pizza that's hardly numero uno, and ice cream cake, which reminds us why make thirty-one flavors when you can't get vanilla right? I wouldn't want to be married to her. I mean, again. Who are you, and why are you ruining my retirement party? I'll have you know I wandered off from the tour. So Homer's now at home using the typewriter. He's got his little glasses out, which I appreciate it, and it's got no E. So he has to change his name to Bill Simpson. The only <laughs> thing here is, so when it cuts to the editor uh, thinking that's a joke, how, he then mentions that Homer wrote things like Screw Flanders over and over again, but how could he have written Screw Flanders without the E? Oh, well picked up. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get that one myself. Actually, maybe I'm guessing that he really he, he's so vehement about getting that message out that you know he actually wrote those in. He wrote those in with a pen. <laughs> it is a great gag. Just had to end with screw Flanders because he couldn't get the word count up. Well, <laughs> and they come they come back to it later. Um, the uh, Homer lies and says, "Yes, it was a joke." Goes home to get his real review, and then just cleaning himself in the shower, cleaning the stink of failure off him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lisa then offers to help, so they decide to review Pate Laval, which you mentioned earlier. Okay, what restaurant did we review? Well, we went to Pate Laval last week. How about that? Great. Now let me think. The food was. Not undelicious. The food is delicious. <gasps> That's brilliant. And I have this sweet, sweet chocolate mousse. Really, the only word for it is... Hmm, what's the English equivalent for... I'd say... Transcendent. How about groin-grabbingly transcendent? Uh, I don't think so. We make a good team. A groin-grabbingly good team. 497, 498 words. Hmm. How about Screw Flanders? Bon appetit. Uh, both good. Also very funny seeing Lisa do the Homer drool. Yeah, in this scene here. It's, so what, is, what word does she use to describe that sound? It's transcendent, isn't it? 
<laughs> no, more like groin-grabbingly transcendent. How great is that? A groin-grabbingly good team. <laughs> <laughs> you get it, it happens sometimes. I mean, sometimes you just get so really attached to a phrase or a word. Have you ever found that? You mean you'll be you'll read back uh, something that you've written, or uh, you'll listen back to something that you said, like, oh wow, I use that term a lot. What I do a lot is I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I say, yeah, 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 all the time. And sometimes I'm editing, I cut it out because it doesn't need to be there. It's just my natural way of, of agreeing with something. <laughs> my um, my good young friend, Raf, who I used to work with at, at Pop Culture, you know Raf. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, I believe he uh, was he once a patron. mercilessly takes the piss out of me because uh, he would listen to episodes that I did of um, when we were doing Movie Guy and that kind of stuff. And he'd say, oh, I was listening to it. You know what you say a lot? Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly right, yeah. Yeah, whenever I'm agreeing with someone, it's like, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <And he used laughs> whenever he wanted to take the piss out of me, go, hey, guy, yes, exactly. I'm like, oh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Raph if you're listening. Love you, little brother. And then here, we need two more words. Mm, how about Screw Flanders? <laughs> <laughs> the editor really appreciates this. Homer then demands that they stop the presses. Not bad. Not bad at all. We're going to run this on page one of section H2. Woohoo! Stop the presses! <gasps> okay, start the presses. That takes four hours. Whatever, I'll be at most. Now, I want to ask is this how it's actually done? I've never actually been to a printing press, so I couldn't tell you. Okay, where does the Addy get their papers printed? That's a really good question because... Um, you don't know? Well, the way the media is nowadays, we sort of sometimes then goes the lowest bidder. I mean, I, I think it may be Queensland that does it. How do they get the papers back here so quickly? I'm, just, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, just, I just put... Look, first of all... You, the other side of the country. That doesn't seem logical. <laughs> well, there's, there's all wonders of modern technology. I mean... We're working with a bunch of different agencies. I mean, we we had an issue with our sports pages the other night, and I think, you know, part of it was there was a problem in Mumbai. There's no way. There's no way the I don't think it was getting in printed in Mumbai, but I think maybe some of the sub-editing or some of the technical stuff was done in Mumbai. I mean, they, they can do wonderful things with computers nowadays, Dan, though. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I know I've never, I've never actually been to, to where the paper was printed. I mean, in the old okay. days of the Addy, we actually had the printer... Or the printing press in the building, but I never, I never went down to see it. Okay, I'm just, a, I'm afraid of big machines with moving parts like that. <laughs> so the family are at dinner at the Fry and Dutchman. Um, Flanders overhears that Homer's the art, uh, the critic. Spreads the rumor, goes from person to person. Then we get to Skinner and my favorite moment from the episode. Did you hear? Homer's a critic. Quit changing the subject. Where is Uta? Oh, we just want closure. So Lisa's very happy to be published, although it's not under her name. And Homer's here. Welcome to the world of professional writing. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing that I that made me laugh is that uh, yeah, the headline of the uh, Frying Dutchman review is something about uh, cod and scrod that that are basically rhyming puns with God. And I actually did that last night. I was I was uh, sub editing a page of the advertiser. We have a regular fishing column. There's only so many fish jokes you can that you can make. But uh, this one actually focused on this guy called an enormous cod, and I think my headline was "Cod Only Knows" or something along those lines. But yeah, that hit home for me. That's that's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, it really is an insight into how newspapers work. They're at Planet Springfield this time. 
just getting the two of the players. Rania welcomes them, and then Homer rips up the Cable Guy script because it almost ruined Jim Carrey's career. It, it didn't, though, did it? No, the Cable Guy didn't ruin Jim Carrey's career, but he was paid a shit ton of money to to star in. I think he was paid something like twenty million bucks. Twenty million dollars wow. because he was super hot coming off, you know, Ace Ventura and The Mask. Dumber, dumber. Yeah, I mean, he was yeah, he was like probably the biggest star in the world at that stage. No and shit, I think his, really. Yeah, and I think his agent, you know, negotiated this incredible payday for him where he got twenty million to be in the Cable Guy, and the Cable Guy is not exactly like a a user friendly comedy. I mean, it's pretty dark. Nice. It's pretty. That's, it's, that's strange. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think a lot of people saw it and go. Mm, this isn't, you know, this isn't smoking, or this isn't, uh, you know, Ace Ventura talking out of his butt or something. This is a bit yeah. kind of, yeah, meaner and darker and stranger. So, yeah, um, yeah you probably had some people say, that's not my Jim Carrey. People like and that. Then he, and then he revived himself with Liar Liar. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true, yeah. I know a lot of people hang shit on that movie, but that's one of those films that every year I pull it out and whack it on. It's just, it's, 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 it's simple and it's fun. It's comfort food, yeah. Yeah. Same with um, Truman Show. I always appreciate Truman Show. Oh, Truman Show's a winner. Love the Truman Show. Yeah. Um, so now they're at the rotating restaurant, and Homer gets the view of Patty and Summer and passes out. <laughs> <laughs> now everyone in Springfield is getting fat because they're all reading Homer's reviews. Uh, Lenny and the Mr. Burns, uh, mentioned, and it looks like, what's his name again? The Fox guy? Roger Ailes, yeah. Roger Ailes, yeah. And his shin bones go. It's, it's just, it's an amazing design. It looks great. Oh, it does. <laughs> So now we're back at the uh, the newspaper, and the other reviewers want to have a, a talk to Homer. Um, Homer thinks it's because he's been stealing office supplies. Pinches <laughs> <laughs> the uh, what do they call that? The uh, the thing with I the I don't uh, know. Yeah, I'm the, sure. The, I'm the sure it's got an actual click. name. I know it, it would have a name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is Garth Trelawney, TV critic. Why you? You made them cancel Platypus Man. Homer, this is our theater critic, Daphne Beaumont. And the Cosby Mysteries, that show had limitless possibilities. Homer, please. Sorry. Jamie Kilday, farm supply critic. Just got back from the Gopher Poison show in Paris. Let me tell you something, people. The days of clubbing them with a baseball bat are over. For you, perhaps. Listen, we've been meaning to have a talk with you about your reviews. Everything's a rave. Nine thumbs up. What the hell is that? I've given out my share of bad reviews. Oh, the only bad review you gave was to a slice of pizza you found under the couch. It lost some points because it had a Hot Wheel on it. Oh, good Lord, man. You're a critic. You don't have to like everything. E.g., my latest review. We see John Deere has come out with this year's line of rototillers. Surprise, surprise, they're green. I say it's time to send John Deere a Dear John. <laughs> oh, that's classic. You don't have to patronize me. <laughs> okay. I kind of feel sorry for Homer here because he was on a he was on a good um, wicket, like he was doing was doing a good job. Yeah. And these guys are sort of like they're like the, the emperor that succumbed him to the dark side. Mm. I, now here's my thing. I think the only reason that I mean, you've heard of TV reviewers and you've heard of theater reviewers. What was the the third guy was like a farm products guy or something? Yeah, yeah, so here was the, um, yeah. like I said, the pest control, yeah. Yeah, I think the only reason they made him do farm products is so they could do that line about, I think we need to send John Deere a dear John. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that someone, either Al Jean or someone in the writer's room, you know, they were walking around getting high fives after that after that wordplay. It's a good line. It is. We've got to find a way to put that in. How can we, how can we say this? Oh, yeah, we'll make this guy review farm products or farm a ridiculous thing. Yeah, or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. But um, you know, it works. So yeah, let's go with it. So Homer's now been sucked in. So they're now at the Springfield Dinner Theater, 
where one of your favorite moments where Krusty's performing King Lear, not a comedy. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> yeah. And Lisa is really surprised that Homer is now really mean. But yeah, you know, Homer's got one of his patented pieces of good life advice: always give in to peer pressure. Always. Always. The second always is the best. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, no, this is indisputable. Yes. <laughs> then Crossy starts doing his stand-up. Uh, uh. Whoa, this material stinks. I'm going to have to punch it up on the fly. Oh, I got one. How do you make a King Lear? Put the queen in a bikini. <laughs> Here's another one. Knock, knock. Who's there? Juliet. Juliet who? Juliet so much pasta bazool, Romeo doesn't want her anymore. <laughs> Whoa, tough crowd. They're booing Shakespeare. Then we get a little quick nah, newspaper transition here. They love doing those on The Simpsons. Did you notice here that Homer's little photo is him when he's drunk? <laughs> no, I didn't see that. Nah, no, cause wasn't, wasn't your photo from like 20 years ago up until like last year? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean... um. Oh, I don't know if it was 20 years ago. I think it was, um, I went on a fitness kick like maybe 10 years ago and, and lost a heap of weight. It was like, quick, get new pictures before it all goes back on. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I wasn't, I didn't have a beard at that stage because I only had like one chin. I was like, <laughs> and then when they, then I wrote another article and they, they didn't have a new picture of me. So they ran that old picture and everyone was sort of like, eh, I think you might have gotten the time machine for that one. <laughs> I think you got in the Wayback Machine. So, um, yeah, I really should get a new headshot taken. <laughs> one that, yeah, one that's more sort of uh, in keeping with, yeah, white-bearded old dude in in, um, in Jimbo hat. Krusty, apparently, according to the newspaper article, is the worst King Lear in 400 years. <laughs> then we get uh, Homo's now at Luigi's. He calls it a pile of puke. Then the chef comes out. <laughs> it's like the chef from Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Uh, chops Homer's ear. Homer then gives Marge's, uh, Marge's pork chops his worst rating yet, seven thumbs up. I oh, know, you've gone too far <laughs> insulting Marge's pork chops. Oh, yeah, never insult your wife's food. Even if it's bad, just don't do it. Oh, just say yeah. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and Nicola will know. It's funny, Nicola will know when her food, when, when it's just not good, basically, because <laughs> I won't say anything. Like, if it's good, I'll say, oh, this is good, babe. But then she sort of sits there and waits for it sometimes. And if she doesn't say nothing, she'll, if I don't say nothing, she'll go, well, I don't think it's too bad. Like, she knows that I don't like it. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, so we get the shake and bake reference. Homer just thinks he's too good now. He's just, he's, the power's got to his head. Exactly. And he knows there's going to be no comeuppance and a nice sort of break of the fourth wall. Let's see, uh, we'll be back after this break. Yeah, that's just after Lisa's quick, because Lisa's just like, I'm not doing this anymore. This isn't fun. You know, I don't want to write <laughs> negative things about people. So come to the legless frog if you want to get sick and die and leave a big garlicky corpse. P.S. Parking was ample. Dad, you're being cruel for no reason. What will people think? People will think what I tell them to think when you tell me what to tell them to think. Not anymore. I don't want to be partners with a man who thinks like that. Nobody talks to me that way. I'm Homer Simpson, the most powerful food critic in town who will never get his comeuppance. You hear me? No comeuppance. We'll be right back. Also, we need to mention that the legless frog... Gives it a terrible review, then goes. P.S. Parking was ample. <laughs> <laughs> well, this thing you got to you got to accentuate the positive when you can. Yes. So we come back and Homer's now trying to write the review by himself with the help of Maggie and Santa's little helper. <laughs> Gets, I, I did see. I did like the sucks and rough, but then when it had the dog say Chewy, Chewy. I was like, ah, eh, it's a bit much. It yeah, you're trying a bit hard there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it didn't need to be there. 
Um, the editor is simply not happy with this at all. What I did like is that they got Ed to impersonate a dog. <laughs> Uh, then he gives the uh, gives him the ultimatum. So you're doing the Taste of Springfield Festival next week, and it better be good. Don't be don't be this horrible person anymore. Mm-hmm. The restaurant owners are then all having their meeting at the Frying Dutchman. Did you see what the sign said? No, tell me. It said, "We are closed." Oh God! He's <laughs> <laughs> out of control. He gave me a bad review. So my friend put a horse ahead on his bed. He ate the head and gave it a bad review. True story. I do love it. It's like, he ate the horse's head. Then he gave it a bad review. <laughs> that yeah, got a good laugh. True story. Then they agree, they agree to, uh, to kill him with La Bombe. Mm. Um, it, it does sound incredibly delicious, though. It, oh, it's just full of all the, all the stuff that makes it a French pastry just, you know, the very best. Just, you know, heaps of butter, heaps of cream, a little bit of poison. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and poison. I'll, I'll throw in some poison. <laughs> <laughs> Marge's uh, woman intuition says that something bad is going to happen at the festival. Um, Homer says, don't worry, something bad always happens to me. Hmm, the bat, that's a new one. That's more relevant now than ever. Absolutely it is. <laughs> Lisa is there also doing review for the school newspaper. And Homer's a little bit threatened by this. Mm. Um, it, 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 that, that makes sense, though, because when people have been a, a duo for a while and they split up and go their own ways, it's like you want to see them do well, but you also don't. <laughs> True. I mean, you 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 like the magic of, of you know two great tastes working together. So the evil chef starts putting all the utensils together to start making the bomb. I did love the assembly of the whisk like that. Like he's a you know like he's the jackal. Yeah, a, had a, to, a proper had, assassin. Yeah. Yeah. Had to, you know, had to bump someone off. They're all watching Homer and they explain their plan, which Bart overhears. <laughs> so he runs off to tell the family and tell Homer. The Assassin starts pumping the poison and butter into the uh, into the eclair and then starts bringing in the antidote. Oh, whoops. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, yeah, that he, I love that he's got a tank of antidote as well as his yeah. tank of poison. It makes sense, actually. It's, it's ridiculous, but it's great. Bart then tells the family, so they all go split up to find him, and Homer's belly button pops out. Homer's just completely overstuffed. He's just, you can't eat anymore. Yeah, as you mentioned earlier, I did love the cheesecake depository stall being there. And then, what's the, um, it's, it's called the French Connection. Um, that's uh, where the uh, La Bombe is. Um, he's yelling at Flanders to get out of the way. Ooh, a rude Frenchman. Well, I never. never. <laughs> <laughs> Homer then comes across and finds La Bombe, but Lisa, thankfully, just in time, prevents him from eating it by doing what? Uh, saying that it's low fat. <laughs> yes. I do like that Homer is willing to eat it, though. Just like, yeah, I've had a good run. Ooh, sweet. I've had a good run. Don't. Uh, um, it's fat. No! We can get some good lines here. So thank God it landed in that fiery crater. But then take him into custody, boys. <laughs> I love that Chief Wiggum is always impressed by his own wit. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You can just tell he's just stoked that he came up with that. Even like last week, he had the, um, what does he call him? Drugs Bunny, yeah. Drugs Bunny. <laughs> um, they make fun of Lou and his frita- love of frittatas, and that's where the hitman escapes. And Homer and Lisa are then chased out of the venue. Bye bye, everyone, including elephants. Where did those elephants come from? I don't know. Doesn't matter. 
and he finally gets his comeuppance. Um, yeah, I like you said at the start, you didn't think it was as funny as what I did. I just thought this was great from start to finish. The only line that I sort of rolled my eyes at was the the dog saying Chewie, but everything else just fit. Didn't need the B story. It was the perfect job for Homer. I, I, everyone played their roles well. I, I really, really enjoyed this one. Yeah, and I, by the way, I sat through all of the uh, closing credits. No, uh, no added gag on the Gracie this time around. Maybe it just, uh, I don't know, they were full of beans in the first few episodes and then thought, eh, forget it. <laughs> We've given you enough humour. What did we learn, Palmer? What did you learn from the episode, Mr. Davis? That uh, when it comes to uh, criticism of culture or food or anything, accentuate the positive. Mm, that is true. What did you learn, Mr. Dando? I learned that any dessert called Death by Chocolate, whether literal or not, just sounds too delicious to turn down. <laughs> Very valid point. Words to live by. Javel! Javel is here! Ooh! Okay, now, so, the mailbag has returned. So, we've had a request from the patrons, haven't we? We've, we've had multiple requests. Yeah, we, we want to get to know Guy. You know, Guy's just come on board. We love Guy, but we feel like we don't know him. We don't know his love of The Simpsons. We don't know what his favourite characters are, that kind of thing. So, in the new segment now... We've because uh, what happened is the fax machine broke down and we just it's too expensive to fix, isn't it? We just can't get it fixed. The fax machine's gone. Yeah, have you have you fi- tried finding a fax re- fax machine repair person in this oh, day and age in this economy? Yeah. Certainly not. <laughs> we, look, we we may do some tinkering with it and we may be able to sort of you know jerry rig some repairs ourselves. But uh, yeah, for this week at least, the fax machine is on hiatus. But we've uh, we've got a new get to know guy segment. So we've got a question here. We've got a couple actually. First one, we've got two. Yep. And, and thanks, thanks to the patrons who sent questions in. We will get to all your questions. So keep sending them in. Um, if, you, if you're not a patron or if you are a patron and you, you can't find the post, just mailbag at fullfingerdiscount.com.au. Ask the question to Guy and we'll, we'll delve into what makes Guy Guy. So hmm. this one's from Talia Enriquez, Guy. She says, what is your favorite fictional Simpsons mascot? E.g. the Bumblebee Man or Duff Man or whatever. Hello, Talia, and thank you very much for that question. You mentioned one of them. I'm very partial to Duff Man. I mean, I, I love his enthusiasm for his job. I get the feeling, you know, for Duffman, it's not just a job, it's an adventure. It's a lifestyle. He's really into it. So he would probably be my, my main favourite. But one that, I, one that I enjoy, and I need to learn a bit more about this character, but mainly just by virtue of their name, the Capital City Goofball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I've referred to someone as a Capital City Goofball in the past when I was trying to sort of, you know, express my disdain for them. <laughs> It's like, who's this capital city goofball? It didn't really take off. didn't really sort of gain much traction. I think the friend that I said it to sort of said, you might want to workshop that one or even just, you know, warehouse that one and not use it anymore. But, just um, walk backwards through the hedge. Yeah, pretty much. I do, but by virtue of their name and also their honky nose or their, their horn nose, capital city goofball's up there. But I, look, I might be a Duffman man, I think. Duffman Duff man lives the life that we all want to lead, right? Very much so. Oh, yeah. It's a 24-7 party for Duff, man. Yeah, yeah, it's just, have, just having a great time. But it, it would be a very hard lifestyle to lead 24 hours a day. Absolutely. And I think Duff, man, probably does have some dark nights of the soul. But uh, <laughs> but for the most part, no, he's living it. He's living it. Now, the, the next question, the, the last question for this week to get to know Guy, you, you particularly chose this one yourself. I'll, I'll let you go for it, Mr. Davis. What, what was it? Oh, no. Well... If it's the one we're talking about, thank you to Joseph O'Hara for this one, uh, because I'm always down for a good uh, FMK question. Um, cover your ears if you like, if you don't like uh, rough language, but fuck, marry, kill. So out of the uh, the 
characters of of Springfield and of all the Simpsons, who would you F M and K? Um, now you're probably learning a bit more about me than you want to do at this stage, but uh, look, I would probably bone Mrs. Krabappel. <laughs> I, I said the same thing when I answered this. Yeah, like, there's I, something I, about Mrs. K. Like she's she's down for a good time. <laughs> I th- yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think you know it would, too? I think she, it would she, walk she just, out she of seems, that. Yeah. She just seems down to earth and just like easy. To, she just seems like she'd be easy to get along with. Yeah, I think you would have, yes, the night of your life. You know, I think you'd walk out of that apartment the next day going, I'm not going to lose that number. <laughs> I think, <I'm, laughs> you know, I'm, I may call Mrs. K again at some stage. That was a good time. Um, you, you, you only get one chance with Edna Krabappel. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the men of Springfield know this as well, yeah. Um, who would I marry? Look, just by virtue of the you know, sort of spending my adult life looking at her as a role, you'd have to marry Marge. I mean, Yeah, I'm, Marge, she's the ultimate wife, eh? Yeah, it would be tough to break up the Simpson family, but, I mean, Marge is very loving, very forgiving, um, great with the pork chops. Uh, <laughs> she's also a very strong-willed woman. Oh, absolutely. I mean, she, yeah, she's no doormat, despite putting up with, <laughs> with Homer for as often as she does. But, um, yes, Marge just seems like good wife material, as they yep. say. Um, and who would I kill? Look, just just to put them out of their misery because they've. I think they've been doing it tough for so long. Hans Molman, I think he. I think he deserves the. the, the <laughs> you can't the, kill him. He's like a cockroach. True, true. But I think he deserves the sweet uh, respite of the grave after just <laughs> you know after doing it tough for so long. Yeah, put Hans out of his misery. So yeah, it'd be a mercy killing. But Hans Molman yes, is yes. is is the K in this FMK scenario. Alrighty, guys. Well, thank you for sending in your get-to-know-guy questions. We'll get to another couple next week. But now it's time for... It's the patron mailbag time. Thank you, Mitch. It's the patron mailbag. Alrighty, guys. We'll do a couple here because we we've hit the 90-minute mark, so we'll try, we'll try and keep it as short as possible. Mm-hmm. Thank you, guys, for sending in your questions. What we might do is... What, going forward, maybe what we might do is we'll answer a couple on the podcast and then we'll just get to the post and just answer them ourselves. That sounds like a very good idea. This yes. is why you're running. This is why you're, you know, at the steering wheel, and I'm in the passenger seat. Because we had a couple of people who saw the uh, the two hour fifteen time uh, of the first podcast and went, "What the hell? What?" <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Understandably so. Mark Boston Burgess says, "What's your favourite meal?" Oh golly, um, I do have a signature dish that I whip up when I'm kind of in the mood for comfort food. I make a very nice. Well, I think it's very nice. Lemon chicken risotto. Oh, risotto is my favorite as well. Not lemon chicken, just plain chicken vegetable risotto. But yeah, how great is risotto? It's fantastic. I mean, I know a lot of people are not down with risotto. There's like, why do you want to eat wet rice? But uh, clearly, they haven't made good risotto. I mean, exactly. Yeah, with uh, you know, mine, mine in particular. Well, it's not a fancy recipe, but it's just onion, mushroom, uh, some great chicken breast, uh, chicken stock, at a shit ton of parmesan cheese at the end, some nice fresh uh, parsley, and um, the rind of a lemon and some lemon juice. It's, you know, it's pretty basic, but oh man, does it hit the spot. So yeah, but also, you know, very partial to just um, a great medium rare steak uh, with, uh, you know, good chips on the side. That's the key for risotto, is the cheese you put at the end. Absolutely. Don't skimp on, yeah, I mean... If you go, if you're gonna do it, do it right and put lots of cheese in. <laughs> Absolutely, and get really good parmesan. Yeah, so Nic- Nicholas does the tasty cheese, but like I think she's used parmesan as well. Like, yeah, whatever cheese you prefer, 
use lots of it and it will just be so much better for it. Absolutely. More cheese. Uh, my favorite meal is obviously Nicholas Rosotto. Um, my mum's roast. Like every every year at Christmas time, she does her roast or she'll make a roast, just bring it up. She knows how much we love it. So she'll make a big tray of it. Of this oh, roast. She'll slice it up and she'll like leave it at our doorstep for us and stuff like that. And my nan, shout out to my nan, Marlene. Uh, she does an incredible veggie soup. Now it's kind of like a family tradition, that veggie soup, because my great nan, which is my nan Marlene's mother, <laughs> she used to make the veggie soup. She was like the family... No, Nan's great Nan's veggie soup, and then unfortunately my great Nan passed away. But sort of like she taught my Nan how to make it, so then it's like passed down to my Nan. Now, now my oh. Nan has taught us how to make it. Yeah, <laughs> so it's nothing like a Dando family thing. Nothing like a family tradition, yeah, particularly when it comes to food. That's marvelous. Yeah, even when it doesn't taste as good, the fact that you know it's just you made it. Yeah. With, it's just it's Nan's soup, so it's just good. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. that is good. Uh, a couple more questions. Let's skip them through. Henrik Winterlind says, how much do reviews influence whether or not you'll eat somewhere else? They, actually, they, they never used to, but they do a lot more so now. I look at, if I'm going on Google, I will look at what the, not particularly what the reviews say, but the ratings, the star rating. I guess so, yeah. I mean, I've never really sort of paid much attention to, uh, to food reviews in that regard. Usually it's more word of mouth. I'll certainly pay attention if an article is, uh, if I see an article, say, on Facebook from some magazine or whatever saying, hey, this place is open and it does this. It's like, ooh, well, that's the kind of food I like. Maybe next time I'm in Melbourne or in the area or whatever, I'll give it a whirl. But I don't really read restaurant reviews or anything like that. Usually it's word of mouth. I mean, Mitch uh, mentioned a place in Geelong that did like um, fantastic sort of Middle Eastern kebabs and Lebanese cuisine, and I'm really partial to that. So I think the same night I actually read him giving it a shout out. I'm like, Okay, well, as soon as I finish work, I'm going to go down there. And I did, and it was actually really nice. Now, for the life of me, I can't remember the place. It's on Paco. I want to say it's like called 315 or something along those lines. Okay. Um, I'll tell you what, I might look it up and then put it on the Facebook page. Yeah, do that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, but I mean... Support, support your local businesses, by the way, guys, at this t- time of the year, or this, this epidemic that's going on around the world. Make sure you support the locals out there who are doing it tough. Exactly, yeah. I mean, uh, if you can't be asked cooking yourself or you can't get out and get supplies then, yeah, they, they may well bring you something nice and uh, yes. you'll be doing them a solid at the same time. So, yeah, get on it. Beth Anslow says, when you eat out at a familiar restaurant, do you like to try something new or do you always prefer to order the same thing as you know it's a sure winner? It kind of depends what mood I'm in. Yeah. Like, if, if, I, if I just want some sort of comfort food, I tend to just choose something that I know I'm going to like because I just want that comfort. But if I'm willing, to, if, if, I, if I just go into the place because I, like, I want to support the place and I, I know they do good food, I'll look at the menu and go, well, maybe I'll try this, but I'll also order what I also like as well, just as a backup. <laughs> that's a really good philosophy, Dan. It's a, that's a really good approach. I mean, uh, yeah, I think I'm much the same. I found if I'm going to go to a place that I know, then I've probably gone there because I've, I've gone there because of a particular dish that they have. So, I mean, I'm sure, that, I'm sure they do other stuff well, but it's like, well, I've come to this restaurant because I know they do, you know, this parma, this chicken parma really well. So, and that's, that's what I feel like, you know, it takes a lot to get me to leave the house. Well, you know, it used to, now, <laughs> now I don't have a choice, but um, yeah, in terms of like, oh, we're we going out to eat. Okay. Well, we'll go to this place that does this that I like. I mean, the one positive that's come from this whole um, shutdown and coronavirus thing is that my friends don't expect me to visit them anymore. Neither does my family. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing I was always like, I mean, I, I mean, I was a fairly sort of, um, not introverted person, but you know, I was very much someone who liked my own space and even my own company to a large degree. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like other people, but I like myself more. Um, mm. 
And now I've got an excuse just like, you know, you guys at home with this DVD collection. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, not a worry. It's justified. Alrighty, guys. Thank you for listening to our review of Guess Who's Coming to Criticize Dinner. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Uh, send us uh, any questions to mailbag at fourfingerdiscount.com.au. Let us know what you think about the show, uh, any suggestions for future segments. And just, yeah, like I said, send in some questions for Guy or just questions about The Simpsons. Mailbag at fourfingerdiscount.com.au. Keep sending those questions in, guys. Do appreciate it. Next week, we're going to be reviewing It's the Treehouse of Horror 10. Ooh. Your first Treehouse of Horror review, Mr. Davis. Oh, I can't wait. We find with these reviews is there's less to sort of talk about about the actual episode, but it's just a bit of fun banter. Like, I feel like you and I will give the episode a bit more attention than it deserves. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, this, this Treehouse of Horror features Werewolf Flanders, the comic book guy as the collector, and he tries to kidnap Xena, Lucy Lawless, and we get a Y2K parody at the end as well. It, it was a real threat back in 1999. <laughs> oh, it legitimately was. It's one of the things I can remember just everyone being scared. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think we were quite as concerned as we are now. No. But we were. there, there was a little thought in the back of a lot of our heads thinking, uh, we're getting rather used to working with computers. What if everything shuts down? Hmm. I, I just remember when the countdown happened, me waiting for something to happen. Like I was waiting for a bang or something. Oh, when yeah. The, when it was midnight. But then or just everyone that, was like, oh, it's fine. We're just all that high-tech sort of sound of... Mm. <laughs> just oh, no. Closing Every, down. Everything's, everything's finished. <laughs> you know what was great, though? That is after about 20 seconds, my uncle turned the light off in the house. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone panicked. <laughs> Jesus, dude. <laughs> uh, but anyway, guys, like I said, thanks for listening to the review. Guess who's coming to criticize dinner? do appreciate your support and the fact that you guys are sticking around after so many years you guys absolutely love each and every one of you Mr. Davis any final words for the listeners oh uh, yeah we work hard for the money so you better treat us right shh